Hey, you're listening to the C3 Network Podcast with Dan Holland. Our mission is to create a network of micro churches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. Our hope is that this encourages you. Be sure to leave us a review so you can help us share our message with more people who need to hear it. And now, Dan Holland. Welcome back. Okay, we're working through those eight qualities that are necessary for building a life that lasts. And today, we're looking at that fourth quality, which is self-control. Now, what I want to do is start by reading together. And if you're comfortable, read, just read along with me out loud. And we're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll start with verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection Love, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. See, the big news is that the seeds of each of these virtues are in you, and if they are growing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's huge, because what began in faith grew into goodness. To goodness, we're adding knowledge, because putting into practice what you know leads to a greater understanding. So we're moving along, and this is where Peter drops a bomb on us. And he tells us that the the very next quality that we need, if we want to build a life that lasts, is, a drum roll please, self-control. Peter knew that faith alone wasn't enough, and he knew that being good on its own wasn't enough. He knew that growing in knowledge wasn't enough. See, Peter knew that to build a life that lasts would require, you guessed it, self-control. Self-control. To have control is to have power to influence or direct a behavior or the course of events. It's exciting to have control over others, am I right? Do this and do that or go there or go here. But maybe not so much fun when we're talking about self-control. It's telling yourself to do this or that or to go here or to go there. Self-control is controlling how we react and respond. But each of us can choose. We have the ability to control ourselves whether or not we choose to use it. Now, with that in mind, I have a question that I want to ask you. Have you ever lost control? Maybe said something that you later regretted or maybe did something that you wish you could undo after the fact. Maybe went somewhere you now see was very foolish. If anyone knew what it was like to lose control, I think it was Peter. Peter stuck his foot in his mouth over and over because he oftentimes said and did what he felt rather than weighing out the consequences. You you know what I mean? He was sometimes emotionally controlled rather than self-controlled. And what leads to a lack of self-control? 
Isn't it a lack of perspective? Peter says that when anyone, including you and me, is lacking in these qualities and including self-control, it means that we're nearsighted, blind, and that we've forgotten. You see, the nearsighted person sees only what affects them personally. They see the immediate, the right now. On the other hand, the blind can't see at all. And someone who has forgotten, well, maybe worse of all, they once knew, but they live as though they never knew. For example, consider an athlete who lacks self-control, always losing their cool, maybe believes that they're, they've outgrown the fundamentals of whatever the game is that they play. Maybe they're so good in their own eyes that they demand everything revolve around themselves. What's the reason? Why are they not performing as expected? It's either that they're blind, that is, they've never understood how or that they only consider how things affect themselves, or that they once knew, they once knew how, but they simply have forgotten how. Now consider how you're living. For those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, are you living a life that's effective and productive? It's the big question. Are you practicing self-control? Are you adding self-control to knowledge? If you are, then you are building a life that will last. Now, if you're not practicing self-control, why not? Listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, about the person who is lacking self-control. He writes, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. This is the only place where the word self-control is in the entire Old Testament. Interesting, isn't it? Just as an ancient city was ripe for the taking by an enemy, so we are when there's an area of our life that we just don't have control over, be it our thoughts or our feelings, our body, our actions, our habits, whatever. You see, a person with no self-control is defenseless, always subject to attack and defeat. Or consider chapter 16, verse 32, where it says, Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Which has a similar statement from a positive perspective. This is the issue 99.9% .9 of the time whenever we fail. It's not a knowledge issue. See, sometimes we know what to do. We just, honestly, we just don't want to do it. We lack self-control, the discipline to follow through. It only takes one moment of losing control to destroy what has taken a lifetime to build. Whether it's talking about finances or career or your family, reputation. Can one get those things back? Sure, by the grace of God, it's possible to recover. We all know amazing stories of people who have done that. But I'm confident that every one of those folks would be quick to tell you, it's better. It's just better to build a wall of self-control around your life on the front end than to try to rebuild after the enemy has looted everything near and dear to you on the back end. You see, when we lose control, when we lose our temper, uh, overeat, spend too much money, binge on Netflix, whatever, what is the first thing we often do? We deflect responsibility, right? It sounds like this, well, I shouldn't have eaten that carton of ice cream at two in the afternoon, but I just couldn't help myself. Not that I've ever done that. Or it could sound something like this. I know it's not good for me to lose my temper like that, but did you see what that guy did? He's lucky he didn't cause an accident. You see how we deflect? Tempting circumstances and trying people are often beyond our control, for sure. We don't go looking for them. They just seem to pop up. We have no control over that. But we are always in charge of how we respond. And that's Peter's point here. 
Don't we like to say, I'm only human, I just couldn't help myself. Yeah, but remember Romans chapter eight, verse 12. This is the New Living Translation. He said, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. We don't have to do what we feel, you see. Our sinful nature cannot make us do what we don't want to do or keep us from doing what we know we ought to do. Now, until we own that, our emotions and desires will own us. Listen, you had no choice is one of Satan's great lies to keep our lives out of control in some area. There's always a choice. It may not be the one you like or prefer, but there's always a choice we get to choose. See, too often we lose control simply because we're being lazy in our decision-making. We let things slide until it's too late. We let things get worse and worse until we're fully convinced that self-control is impossible or at least impractical. Let me illustrate it this way. When's the best time to keep a boulder from rolling down a hill? When it is already halfway down the hill or when it's still at the top of the hill? You see, if you allow an emotion or desire to pick up too much steam, it's going to take control and crush everything and everybody in its path. It will crush you no matter how hard you try to push back against it because, well, it's out of control. And in one sense, I couldn't help it actually becomes a true statement. But, but listen, it's never a legit excuse. The best chance we have of self-control is to make some top-of-the-hill decisions. What are some of those top-of-the-hill decisions? Start today saving 10%. Start today giving 10%. Start the very next meal eating healthy. Go to the gym for 30 minutes this week. Start walking every day for 30 minutes, whatever. Start today and say what is good for building others up according to their need. You see, you start at the top of the hill in everything. And when things get out of control, as things sometimes do, just say, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? And then you climb back to the top of the hill and you practice self-control. I realize that for some, things may already be out of control. You've been out of control for so long that things are a real mess. And I'm not talking about merely trying harder. Trying hard may get you through a few days or weeks, but inevitably our try is going to give way to our want. No, Peter isn't talking about trying harder. He's talking about obedience. What Peter is saying here is, Control yourself according to what you know to be true. You make the decision right now to be 100% committed to being self-controlled because if you're 98% committed to a diet, for example, you'll never see progress or stay on it. If you're 98% committed to a relationship, the 2% that you're not committed will absolutely destroy it every time. Now, are you ready to make a 100% commitment? If not, why not? Now, our hesitancy to commit may be rooted in an overestimation of ourself. We may believe we deserve to behave a certain way, say what's on our mind, or do what we want to do. But we don't deserve anything. But we are fortunate enough to be invited to worship the one who gave up everything for us. Our worship is best done with our life. It's like Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 1. He said, therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, which are holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And here's the thing. Being 100% committed is much easier when we're 100% convinced that everything we do is an act of worship to God. 
One of the hardest lessons for most of us to learn is that our points of weakness become our greatest opportunities to experience God's strength. Too often, we deny that we're weak and we miss wonderful steps of growth. God seldom demonstrates his amazing power, however, until and unless we admit that we are powerless. And even then, he provides exactly what we need and not more or less. I want you to think about 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's where he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. In verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Ultimately, self-control is easier when you're 100% committed to the right things. Focus on God and what he has called you to. See, Peter is clear that he has brought us out of darkness. We have escaped the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires, and we get to participate in his divine nature. So when you're presented options other than what you know is right, don't consider it, debate it, or fantasize about it. Just get away from it. How did Paul put it? He tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, in regard to sexual sin, flee from sexual immorality. But really, that advice, that advice works for all areas where our self-control is being tested. Sometimes the answer is to flee. Just run, Forrest, run. Of course, even if we're 100% committed, our flesh will continue to challenge us to rethink the commitment. The best thing to do is to make the decision before it's time to make the decision, and then it's easier to be self-controlled. Now, Michael Jordan exhibited tremendous self-discipline, at least in the area of basketball. I understand his history, but in the area of basketball, and he said this, he said this at one time, he said, once I made a decision, I never thought about it again. And that's what it takes. But if you're tempted to revisit every decision, self-control can seem impossible. Usually, it's because you've decided to be involved in activities where a previous decision is constantly being challenged. For instance, today, you may be 100% committed. Today, you're committed not to overspend. But then looking through Amazon, you might be pulled to revisit that commitment. How's that even possible? Well, because it's only a few clicks. You think right now about your life. Wonder what areas you need to apply self-control. Don't say every area. Just why don't you write down one area or two or maybe three where you need to make every effort to apply to your knowledge self-control. Review your list every day. And I'm serious about that. Pray about it first thing every morning. Always keep the list with you. You don't need to be self-controlled about everything, just the thing that's in front of you. This is a great story. When Corey Ten Boom was a young woman growing up under Nazi domination, she told her father one day, I'm not sure I can survive this strain. Her father, a wise man, asked her, Corey, when you take the bus home each day, does the driver ask for a year's, a year's fare? No, father, she replied, not knowing where he was going with this whole questioning. Does he ask for a week's fare? No, father, he doesn't. I only give him the fare for that ride. Her father's eyes brightened and he explained. 
That's the way God's grace is for us. He always gives us what we need at the time we need it. See, from time to time, all of us face situations when we feel submerged and covered up in confusion, pain, and difficulties. At those moments, we don't need grace and wisdom for the whole solution. We just need them for the very next step. God will give us exactly what we need at the time we need it, and probably not more and certainly not less. We don't have to be self-controlled all the time, just this time. I'm going to say that again. We don't have to be controlled all the time, just this time, just today. You see, today you can make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control because we are fully forgiven and deeply loved by God. Let me pray that for you right now. And I, I asked you last week, whenever it comes to living well, do you want to win or simply participate? Remember 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. In other words, everybody lives life. And some people are choosing to live their best life. The Christ follower consciously lives out this self-control just as an athlete exercises self-discipline. I believe that life is determined and directed by God, of course, and I believe that we should practice self-control within that truth. Self-control doesn't come naturally or even by hard work. Self-control, well, self-control is a gift of God, so there's no room for pride. See, we can choose to add to our faith. We can add to our faith. Hopefully, by now, you're well on your way to memorizing 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Let me just tell you, start with faith, add goodness, then add knowledge, and to knowledge, add self-control. Now, let's end today by saying this together. First, today I will add to my faith. I will do more than believe. I will trust God. I will truly come alive. I will let faith lead me. I will follow God in faith. Second, today I will practice moral excellence. I will put into practice what I know. Third, today I will grow in knowledge of God's word. I'll read my Bible and I'll ask God for wisdom. And now our fourth quality, self-control. Today I will be self-controlled. I will practice self-control over my emotions and attitudes. I will stop blaming others or making excuses because I am adding to my faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the simplicity of these eight virtues that Peter is teaching us. I believe, Father, that you have, you have created each one of us, every human, with the seeds of each one of these qualities. My prayer this week, Father, is that you will help us as we grow in self-control. I pray, Father, that we will honor you with our life, honor you with our words, honor you with our, with our behavior, with the, with the way we think. And I pray, Father, that we will be controlled, that we will practice the control over ourselves that you have blessed us with. And Father, I pray that each day we will see you at work in our life. I thank you, Father, that when we practice these qualities, when they're in our life and when they're growing, it keeps us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, we do believe. 
we believe, we believe deeply. I pray, Father, that you will help us to live and live our best to your glory. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. And all those who would agree will say with me, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, we post a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so you can help share our message. We'll see you next time.